Stacy V here, and you're listening to a series of romantic events where I give you my feedback and rundown of a different romance novel series every two weeks. For our fifth episode, let's step back in time and take a trip to the convent. I'll be reviewing the Brides of Virtue series by Bettina Cron. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. What is it, November already? Like, I, th- I think we're looking into, what, two weeks away from Thanksgiving? So it's coming up super fast. I don't think I'm going to be able to spend as much time, you know, with the largest part of my family as I usually do, though, because it seems like everything is cracking back down. But now I was going to say I have better news about the series, but I, I definitely don't. Is it better than the Werewolf series? Yes. Does that mean I'm keeping the series? No. So we can probably get into the author herself first. Uh, Bettina Cron, I, I read one of these books when I was a teen, so I think 17, 18 maybe. But I had no memory of the novel itself. All I knew was that I kept it. So I was like, oh, it must be great. I must have enjoyed it. Okay. So yeah, not, not many expectations going in about the author, but the series of books is about this convent full of nuns. And well, obviously it's full of nuns, duh. Um, but they they take in like orphans or they take in, um, um, what am I trying to say? people of high class society's children that can't afford to keep them. Um, so they're, they're still noble born children. It's just that they couldn't be brought up by their parents. So from books one to three, it's about these women who would, you know, 17, 18, 19. Um, and at that point in their life, the abbess decided or some sort of circumstance happened that needed for these women to kind of go off and live with a man and end up marrying him. Okay. I didn't, well, one, I love a good story about a nun who's not a nun. Sister Act 1 and 2 are definitely my favorite movies. You can ask anyone I grew up with. Those tapes are probably broken now. So I had a high expectation from that perspective, but not really for the author. And I didn't really know what direction she was going in. Like I said, that was about 10 years ago. And I don't really remember it. Okay, biggest gripe. And I don't even think it was the author's fault. I think this is a Goodreads issue. They listed book one. Um, as the wife test, but it definitely wasn't. I read it first. Then when I read the second book, theoretically, which is the husband test, which ended up being the actual first book, kind of mad. Things went out of order. Wasn't super excited about it. Anyway, I'll review them in order so you don't have to deal with that. And I'm definitely going to write Goodreads a letter because why would you do that to me? Okay. So the actual first book, the husband test. So these titles refer to this kind of made-up test that either the abbess makes up or one of the girls makes up in order to prove that the, the, um, that the men are right for the women or in order to prove that some wife is right for the man, um, all because of the abbess or because the women don't really know how to prove that these men would be good, good men for the women that they're supposed to be marrying. I just want to say that a lot of these guys were super aggressive and I wouldn't have married them to anyone I know. And and not 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 even in like a cute like jealous way. It was like ugh. I'm I'm pretty sure in one of these books, this guy was supposed to be teaching her how to ride a horse, and he got an order which he said, and this girl doesn't know how to ride a horse, and he like hits the horse on the behind, and it goes flying off several times. By the way, like this wasn't like a one time thing. He was just kind of frustrated. No, like the horse goes running off. She doesn't know how to ride a horse. The horse is like running off into like the woods. She's in danger. They find out later that people had like cut the saddles, and she could have easily fallen out. Oh, anyway, the men are all like this. And I, I, I guess the author thought that it was like kind of a turn. Well, I have no idea. 
overly aggressive men, not my thing. So the first book, The Husband Test, like I said, um, it's it's about Sister Eloise, who's not a sister. None of them are. Um, but she does grow up in the convent. And the idea is that she really, really, really wanted to be um, an abbess. She wanted to take over for the woman in charge. The issue is that the woman in charge knew by far that she was never going to allow her to be an abbess um, and that she probably wasn't going to allow her to be a nun because she always got her nose stuck in everything. You know, she was messing with the people who um, sewed. She messed with the people who milked the cows. She messed with people. Like, and she just, she always had these ideas of how to improve things and how to make things better. And the abbess would always show up when things kind of went astray or awry or, you know, everything kind of gets messed up and who's standing in the middle of it. Eloise, oh, look, there you are. So one day in the middle of nowhere, this guy shows up and is like, hey, I need a wife. And Abbas is like, okay, like, I mean, I, I guess I'm like, well, what do you mean you guess? You, you're the order of the brides of virtue. It's not surprising. Well, I mean, it's surprising to me, but it shouldn't be surprising to you guys that men show up looking for brides when you label yourself the brides of virtue. I don't. Okay, fine. So she's surprised um, and she, she doesn't know him. She doesn't know whether or not she can trust him. And then she's like, okay, I, I need some time to sit with God and pray on this. You'll stay until I make my decision. I'm like, oh, like she got that kind of power. Okay. And he does stay for, I think about two days. And while he's staying there, she's like, we well, might as well just be useful. Right. Uh, and so she has all the young women come out and shave his face. Now these girls don't have any idea what they're doing. And basically he ends up with cuts and bruises all over one side of his face before Eloise kind of tips out because she had just been found doing something else, of course, unruly. And the abbess had put her on punishment. So she kind of tips out to see what's going on, walks over, gets caught. And the abbess says, fine, like, Eloise, can you shave his face? And, of course, everyone's looking at her like, what are you doing out here? She, of course, steps up, does a great job. Fine. Um, and all these women have, like, of, of course, like, I, I don't know, the bright colored eyes that are, like, light blue or green or whatever. She shaves his face. He's glad he didn't get nicked anymore, but he's not, like, you know, super impressed or overly impressed with the girl. Okay. The abbess says, I'm not super sure about sending you home with a wife. Um, and then, off in secret, she and her best friend decide, you know what? This would be a great opportunity to get rid of Eloise. I'm like, okay. Like, I thought that our entire goal was to marry off women to well-to-do men. I didn't think it was, we need to dispose of this one girl, so let's go ahead and you know, wash our hands of her. Wow. A little bit over the top, but okay. She then approaches him and says, hey, like, we're not super sure that you're ready for a wife, but we'll be sending you home with our husband judge. I'm like, okay. And she's going to judge whether or not she thinks that you're ready. I'm like, okay. So he agrees to this because, of course, he super, super needs a wife, even though he doesn't seem like he really wants one. He's brought his own um, priest with him who keeps praying all the time, who is also agreeing to this. Everyone agrees. Eloise kind of goes out to the side and she says, yeah, uh, Abbas, what is a husband judge? I have no idea how to judge a husband. And I'm like, yeah, no, no stuff. He also should know that you have no idea how to judge a husband. You're like 12. She's not like 12. She's probably like 19. But she lives inside of a convent, has probably never seen another guy before. It's not that hard to know that he knows that she doesn't know anything about men, but he goes along with us. Okay, fine. They journey over. I mean, there's some time on a ship, time on a boat, time on a horse. It takes forever to get there. Fine. 
they finally get there and we learn i mean we've learned a little bit longer but this is like the moment that she kind of realizes that something's going on all of his lands are barren no one's really working no one really knows what to do um the crop isn't growing everything basically is falling apart in his home and she finds out oh like all the townspeople believe that there's a curse on the town and that's why they're not having any crop and he hasn't been able to pay all his bills and you know the, the taxes are coming due and his steward is old as i don't know what yeah there's a curse he needs a wife to lift it or so the people think and he just believes that the people need some sort of person to get behind and so he's willing to go along with finding somebody to marry even though he doesn't believe in the curse okay fine Eloise, while she's there, is kind of talking to the different staff and working with the people out in the fields and talking to everyone because, of course, back at the convent, she was being nosy about everything. So she knows how to basically do everything. So she's talking to different people and getting their opinions and, you know, basically just working her butt off to try to make sure that the place is okay. And she's also not taking any lip from him because she's the judge, right? Like, he's supposed to be on his best behavior. And, you know, he's, he's trying, though not very hard. Um, to make sure that he impresses her and that the land's impressive. But of course, it can only be so impressive when they're barely growing anything and all the milk is sour and the cooks don't know what they're doing. But he's trying his best. Okay. Over the course of, I have no idea how long that lasts, um, where she's just kind of teaching people and things are kind of growing up. Um, a boy gets captured and we find out that this is not the first time this has happened. Um, we don't know where he is or where he went. It's just one day he was there, the next day he was gone, and the parents are like, oh, this is the third boy. And I'm like, oh, people just, okay, people just end up running away. Um, and then we also find out that deer are getting stolen. Well, yeah, so um, basically all these animals are being birthed and then being um, stolen as well, um, including horses. And so, like, the horses give birth. He doesn't know where the babies are. It's a mess. Um, and, and same thing with, like, his sheep, right? They get sheared and apparently all the wool is gone. Things are getting stolen. He doesn't know what's happening. And of course, all of his helpers and people who work in his town aren't useful because they like to blame the curse, the curse. Eloise is like, no, there's not really a curse. You just have to figure out how to rule over your people. And we find out that he's kind of new at this. Like his dad died two years ago. And before that, he hadn't even been home. So he's used to kind of fighting at war. And he's not really used to having to run an entire stead. And that's his entire issue that he just wants to kind of go out, fight battles, <laughs> go home and go to bed. He feels like, okay, like we have a seamstress. Why can't she just handle that? Why do I have to oversee everything? And Eloise is just trying to convince him of it. Okay. So they grow to like each other. He grows to like her. I'm pretty sure they kiss. It's, it's, it's one of those things where it happens so many times in all three of the novels that it's hard to kind of dispel it, right? You meet the girl, the girl likes you, you like her. And for some reason, in a very creepy way, in a very creepy way, every time, if the girl wasn't attracted to him, he ends up like making out with the girl. She's, you know, minding her own business. Oh, yeah, I, I remember this one. So she had taken off her habit because they always send like a chaperone to be with her. She had taken off her habit because the girl had fallen, like her, her chaperone had fallen um, and she was trying to like take care of her. He thought that her hair was so beautiful, red and orange. And it like wrapped around his fingers until like he tugs on it and then pulls her towards him to kiss her. And I'm like, this is super weird. Fine. 
they kiss each other. He's like, oh, no, like, she's just a temptress, and she's trying to tempt me so that that way she can prove that I don't need a wife, and I have to watch out for her. And then, of course, she thinks the opposite, right? Oh, he's trying to kiss me because he thinks he'll be able to have sway over me and that I'll recommend him a wife just because I think he's, you know, whatever, handsome, has a personality, whatever. Okay, so now she writes a letter because she decides, okay, like, I really like this place. I really like him. And, you know, he's kissed me now. And I just don't, he deserves a wife. He's a nice guy. I've made my judgments. And before she even left, Abbas had made this really long list of husband requirements that she made up off the, off the dome, as they say. And it, it basically gets washed over and she can't even find it. So at this point, her letter is basically her pouring out her heart to say how much she really likes this guy. Okay. She writes, hey, Abbas, go ahead and bring him a wife. He's a nice guy. Wonderful. Perfect. He gets, well, kind of apprehensive because he does like Eloise and he can't imagine someone else kind of sitting across the table from him. And what would they do and how would he even act? And But he's excited because the rest of the town wants him to have a wife and they're all excited that she decided he's worthy of one. Perfect. <sighs> Word gets back to the Abbas. She and her best friend, um, they're kind of looking around and she's like, OK, let me go ahead and read this out to you, she says. And she's like, okay, Abbas, go ahead and read it out. So she reads it out and she's like, oh, like, wow, there are tears on this thing. I'm like, okay. And I know what we have to do. So the Abbas goes and gets a box and gives it to her friend. She's like, okay, I want you to ride in and give her this. And she's like, okay. So they turn around, head back to where they came from whence they came. Um, and he's, he, he resides over Whitmore. They head back to Whitmore to tell Eloise of what has happened. They show up. Eloise is looking around like, where's his new wife? <sighs> the Abbas's friend goes, she's in this box. And I'm like, okay. They pull out a mirror. I'm like, this feels like a lot to do for a chapter, right? You, you, instead of just saying, oh yeah, Eloise seems super invested. Go ahead and tell her she has to marry him. You pack a mirror and give it to Eloise for suspense for a reason doesn't it just doesn't feel like there's a reason it just feels like you just did it but okay fine cool gives her a mirror she has to marry him and so they end up getting married and the the thing that I had and the problem I had with all three of the books is that everyone was married by the middle of the book so I'm like okay cool like I get it it's um it's historical romance so the idea of people having sex before marriage is just unthought of in this situation. And that's fine. Like, I, I have no problem with a book about sex. That's fine. Just tell me they got married. Everybody lived happy ever after. These books don't do that. They get married in the middle of the book. And then the plot happens somewhere about three chapters before the end. <sighs> anyway, so he, of course, is upset now because he feels like he's been tricked, right? You were here to watch over and administer the test. Why is it that now you get to be a wife? I thought you were a nun. No, I'm not a nun. I hadn't taken my vows yet. Okay. Why didn't I know that? Why didn't anybody tell me? <laughs> he agrees to it finally. And the issue is, is that now, even though she was kind of running everything and make sure that things happen, he didn't want that to be seen as his wife anymore because now all of, of everyone else in the town was kind of looking down at him for it or he felt like it. So, of course, he's being rude. He's being nasty. He's being like, you know, sharp with her and it's not working out and Finally, they reach resolution because, of course, they do it's a romance novel. Um, but overall, it just it didn't feel like there was like a deep enough plot for me. Right. We find out, of course, who was doing all the stealing, what was happening. And we knew that from the beginning. Right. They mentioned his neighbor and how awful he is. So that that wasn't even a surprise. 
her being chosen wasn't even a surprise. Nothing kind of shocked me. The plot wasn't too deep. It was better than the last set of books in that I didn't feel like I wanted to throw the book against the wall because it was so bad, but it wasn't quite good enough to kind of make me want to keep it. The transition from book one to book two, which of course is the husband test to the wife test, I can't really, it's hard to say because of course I read them in reverse order, um, but where in this book, the husband test is about Eloise and this guy, the next book, the wife test is about three different girls from the convent. And they were mentioned in the first book, but it's it's not really as tied in as I've seen in other series, right? Yes, we knew that those three girls were living in the convent, but there was no way to know that those three girls would be the next ones up on the, not, not really the chopping block. But so the transition wasn't super easy and I, I didn't feel like I was in anticipation from book one to book two. All right. So book two starts and it's about these four girls now specifically, though it really is about Chloe. Three girls we mentioned from the last book, Chloe, who we didn't even know existed, fine. So we find out that the Duke of Avalon is in serious trouble, right? He's being held captive and he doesn't have any money in order to pay off his debts. Okay, so they're saying you're going to have to stay in the dungeon um, unless you can pay us. He doesn't have any kids. He has nothing to say, but he did continuously provide help to the bride's virtue. So he writes a letter and says, Hey, like I'll have you guys marry off my daughter. My, I'll have you guys marry my daughters. And then they're worth a lot. And they each come with dowries and then you'll let me go. It's agreed upon. And he writes a letter to the convent. The abbess is like, what daughters? This man doesn't have any daughters. Is he really trying to say that he's going to adopt three of my kids and get them married off? I mean, it's the bride's of virtue. So that's kind of the goal, but fine so she agrees to this okay fine she picks her three she's super happy about it chloe hears about this through the wall and the abbess's best friend who we've met before um her name is archie she does also say well i think chloe should go and the abbess says okay but we don't know if she's noble born right so the idea is that even though the duke is adopting these girls they're able to prove what lineage each one of the girls came from so even though they're adopted and not really his kids, even once that's found out, it's okay because they'll still be worthy. The issue with Chloe is that we don't actually know where she came from, right? She showed up at the convent um, with nothing but Gilbert written on her baby tag. And so they don't know her lineage. So if they were to send her off and the Duke was to be found out, this would be, you know, kind of the red flag of like, wait, like they may not be your daughters, but we don't even know where this girl came from. Chloe understands, but Chloe still wants to go. So she manages. Once all the girls are kind of packed up and ready to be shipped off, um, to be married off, she manages to trick the abbess's best friend, Archie, into coming down and being locked into the cellars. Now, this woman is not upset about this. Like, she acts like it in the beginning. But now that Chloe has given her, like, great food and a couple blankets, she basically just kind of tucks herself in and is like, help me. Yes, somebody come get me. Because she feels like, yeah, Chloe should go. She deserves it. But I definitely agree with the abbess, right? Like, we are already treading a thin line of pretending that these daughters are his. And even though he did officially adopt them, right, it is still a lie. Fine. She decides she's going to take her place and she's going to speak to the king and make sure that all of her, um, and make sure that all of her sisters are married off properly, right? So she hops in the van. And the knight who was to take them is looking at her like, Oh, like, I thought there was an older woman. She's like, oh, you know, something happened. It's fine. He accepts this. And I feel like he accepts it because he thinks she's cute, which, what a way to make a decision. They ride off. They get there. 
And I mean, because of course, right? This boat, there's typically a horse. It takes forever. They get to the king. All right. King's there, they're there. And the premise of the book is that, okay, we have these four brides and I know exactly who it is I want to marry them off to. Okay. And then Chloe steps up and says, you know, your lordship, your grace, um, I think I should be speaking for them because the abbess has given me the right to do so. And he said, okay, I mean, what authority do you have, right? And what exactly would the abbess have me do? She says, oh, yeah, no, it's fine. Like, there's a wife test, which is another, of course, made-up test. No one's ever heard of it. Fine. Um, And he's like, okay, but the problem is, who's going to administer to you, right? There are four daughters, not three or five, whatever it is. There's there's an extra one. Um, And so someone's going to have to administer the test to you. So he picks the knight who kind of carried her in. Um, who he found out was supposed to be a monk all his life and no one will let him be a monk, right? He was basically sold to the king by the monastery and the king has been donating money to the monastery ever since to have him like kind of fight and stuff. So anyway, so basically he can't stand women because the people in the monastery raised him to believe that women were awful. Okay. He's like, okay, so the knight's gonna, he's gonna test you and you're gonna test all these women. Perfect. So now she has to come up with all these fake tests, right? um of how she's going to be able to discern which woman should go with with man with which man uh and one of her first one was okay we're going to learn how to horseback ride because none of the women know how to horseback ride and in doing so now we'll be able to address and understand how it is that you um teach um and as well as how it is that we learn and i can gain a lot from that as to where whether or not you guys will work out together okay so all three of the men kind of run off with the girls there apparently is a fourth guy. He just doesn't show up on time. And we also find out that he's old. Um, and so now the knight feels sorry for her because she's watching and she wants to learn how to ride a horse. He's like, fine, like, I'll teach you. Ugh. You know, and, and this is the one I was talking about where, like, he hits the horse and she rides off and she doesn't know how to ride a horse. Fine, whatever. He decides he's going to teach her how to ride a horse. Okay, perfect, fine. Um, like I said, at some point in there, the saddles get cut. And so she has to come up with a different idea. So she says, okay, we're going to learn... I don't really know falconry. I don't know if they're like... Anyway, they decide to switch over to falconry. That is also a disaster. She decides that the men also have to recite like their favorite Bible verses as well as um, their favorite poem or something and in order to know where their hearts lie. It's some BS, which is fine because she made it all up on a split second. Um, and at the moment, the knight's like, okay, like what the f- what is the point of this? She's like, okay, fine. Like, I was going to have the women recite theirs. Of course she wasn't because she's going off the seat of her pants. Um, But she decides not to and bases it off of the night. Okay. Then she has each one of them cook a meal and has the men try to figure out who cooked what without telling them who did in order to evaluate something. Anyway, fine. So one day, out in the woods, same creepy thing happens where she's just kind of minding her business or going for a walk or whatever she was doing out there. And the knight runs into her and says, okay, what are you doing out here? She says, oh, like, I'm sorry. I was, I, I didn't get too far away from camp. And he's like, okay, but anything could happen to you, right? Then he presses her up against a tree. And I'm like, okay, one more time. If he, if she wasn't interested, this would be totally creepy, right? And then later on, once they actually, you know, get, get, get to the castle and everything, he's kind of blocked her off to ask her about her test and wants to know all the rest of the tests so that he doesn't look like a bumbling idiot, which I definitely agree with. And she says, okay, fine. And he says, okay, what are your preferences, right? Who do you want? And I get that he said he could see it in her eyes that it was him, but still creepy. And he, like, makes out with her. I'm like, okay. I mean, overstepping, but fine. All right. So, of course, the girls all find their proper mates. 
whatever. And and she she decides that she's going to take bite the bullet and get with the old guy. Of course, the knight doesn't like this because the knight likes her. And he just decides, okay, um, this guy doesn't want to marry her. And, and he basically convinces the old guy that she would be a bad idea. Fine. So the king says, fine, but she can't remain unmarried. Maybe she'll marry you. And of course, here we are, only happy through the book. And they get married. And he's still kind of dealing with his monk stuff which I don't get. So he runs off back to the monastery. The king finds out, of course he does, that all these girls are fakes. They all get called back. It's a big hoopla. Um, and I guess that was the plot, but one more time, it wasn't deep enough for me to care because all these women have been married to their men um, for a time now. And they definitely all were, well, at risk of not being good if things got annulled, right? So I was that that wasn't any danger. The transition from book two to book three was null. It was literally just, well, I mean, you've seen the Brides of Virtue, so you know who we are. Here's book three, right? There was no, I know these women, I know where we're headed, I know what to expect from book three. Not at all. Book three starts, and we find out that the cook from books two and one is dead. But the issue is, is that we didn't really have a connection with her before, so I didn't really feel sad about it. It was just kind of like, oh, she's dead. And this new girl has taken over and has been taking over since she was 17 and now she's 20. All right. And then a guy shows up because they always do. A count shows up and it turns out the count has a really, really acute sense of smell. And he has to wear like a band of silver across his nose. And I would just I'm just in my mind. I'm like, OK, what does this even look like? Right. Like it's it's metal and he puts it on his nose and he can't smell anything because the smell is so cute that he can smell basically literally anything and so because she's such a good cook he's traveled father and yon all the way from france to see um to take to taste her cooking and to see if he can kind of steal her away the abbess really likes this girl and doesn't want to let her go and my problem with that is that the this is the same abbess like it's not a new one same chick who was so about just kicking girls out because she just didn't want them there or saying, okay, like, yeah, you're right. The Duke has helped us out a lot. Let me go ahead and give him three girls. But this one girl, like you're going to fight tooth and nail to keep her here. Like and she, to the point that she was trying to force her to take vows. But um, the girl was like, no, nah, I don't want to take vows. I don't plan to stay here. If everybody else gets a husband, I would definitely like one. But the abbess doesn't like this because of course, Julie is a really good cook. She wants a good cook. It's making everybody happy. She loves the food. Anyway, guy shows up, really likes the food. And he demands, well, not even demands, but I kind of want your cook. I'll pay her for you. I'll pay you for her. And it just so happens that someone of a higher authority that works directly for the king said, well, I really don't see why not, right? Like these are the brides of virtue. She should be able to go, even if it's just as a cook, right? She can come back and take her vows. The abbot said, okay, do I have your word on that? And he, the duke's like, yeah, like, of course you do. Like, she's going to go with the count. It's going to be fine. I swear on it. She'll only go for what? Like a year and she can train somebody. It'll be great. Okay. Julia is nervous but excited. She doesn't actually want to go. The guy seems awful, which I definitely agree. All of these men were awful, but fine. Okay. She rides off. It's okay. The rest of the book, obviously, they're on a boat. <laughs> they're on a horse. They're getting there. Fine. And um, as they take breaks, she's cooking but not cooking because she refuses to cook without a proper kitchen um, because she doesn't want him to judge him. She doesn't want him to judge her based off of a meal that she barely, you know, cooked on a spigot. 
but she is telling all the, the other knights around him, like giving giving subtle hints. She gets there, she loves the kitchen, she's cooking for him, and she'd wish she'd take the he'd take the band off his nose because obviously harder to taste if you can't smell. He doesn't agree to, she understands why, people kind of tell her. She finds a place up in a tower where he can eat and take the band off his nose. He's super excited about it, fine. Once he takes his band off, it's kind of, I I don't know if they were trying to give him werewolf feels or if this was turning somehow into some sort of superhero series because this guy's smell was so crazy. And then we find out that his smell was so crazy that the last time he took his band off during war, he ended up killing a lot of people because he could smell the blood and it kind of like heated in his veins or something. And he just turns into a monster is the, okay, fine. So she takes, he takes his band off his nose. He really loves her food. She decides she really likes him, which I thought was super convenient because this girl really wanted to see the world and date around and have somebody marry her. And at this point, it's like, okay, so you're just going to fall for the nearest guy is what it's sounding like, right? She meets people at the market where she's trying to go buy spices. And it turns out that that's his mortal enemy. And so she can't talk to him. And then she meets people at his table, right? Like he always has nights around and then he kind of, well, he basically blocks that. And I'm like, so basically, you only want him because you can't have anyone else. Isn't that romantic? It's a romantic. Wow, look at that. Hand clap. Okay, so she takes off the van. He can smell the cherries. He really likes cherries, apparently. Okay, he also really likes pepper, which is weird. And truffles. Okay, so... He can smell it. He really likes it. He decides he really likes her. And that moment, he just, like, pushes her up against the wall and goes for it. And I'm like, yeah, one more time, creepy, right? And in all these other, like, more modern romance novels, because I have no problem with you just kissing a girl. Like, that's that's fine. But in a situation where, like, all I've done is kiss you food, and I feel like you're, like, approaching me, and the, the girls always sound like they look scared, and that the guys just kind of take advantage of it anyway, like, that's that's what's creepy to me, like... Yes, he backed her into a corner and she had nowhere to go and her eyes grew big. I'm like, that sounds like fear. That sounds like fear. And like I don't I don't know how you define romance, but it's definitely not fear because that's fear. Uh, you know, so he like squishes himself against her and she pulls away. I'm like, okay, so so no. So she's saying no, right? Yeah, yeah, but but he he he's still in hot pursuit. I'm like, I don't I don't know why he's still in pursuit. She pulled her away. Okay. He tastes the cherries, he takes her and he decides that he really likes her and but he knows he has a promise to the duke he has a promise to the king promise to the convent he's not gonna do anything crazy and we find out that he's already pre-engaged to um to his arch nemesis daughter because the king thought if they got married then it would you know tie things over in the kingdom and he doesn't want any more fighting so if he marries the daughter they'll both live happy ever after fine and then we get to the silliest part of this book and the explanation as to why the book, well, is the last in the series, right? Super silly. He is now, so the cook keeps cooking for him and he's super excited about it. And even though they had the one makeout session, he knows she has to go back. Fine. No problem. Turns out a totally third party, like not his super nemesis, but a guy who hates both of them, um, is now plotting to steal the girl and send him over to his arch nemesis so that that way they actually start fighting because that's what he wants fine he steals the girl girl goes over to arch nemesis house she's hanging out in there she meets the woman that he was supposed to marry that 
he never met the count never met her um julia meets the girl she likes her a lot oh we're super good friends now she julia meets the cook and she really likes the way he cooks his food and finds out that the kitchen looks strangely similar to the one that the count has fine all of this happens and he shows up right the count shows up you take in my cook i want her back why would you steal her from me all right. So now his arch nemesis is his daughter who doesn't want to marry the count at all because she's found out he's a beast. And, you know, he, he does have beast-like tendencies. I'm not against it. I definitely agree with her. Fine. She doesn't want to marry him at all. She tells her father, like, hey, like, let Julia go, but only let her go if the count agrees to marry her. That way, I can't marry him and there will be no peace in the kingdom. Won't that sound great, dad? And so her father says, you know what? Great idea. Perfect. All right. He agrees to this and says, the only way I let Julia go is if you marry her. If you don't marry her, she will die right here. We found out later this is a joke, but fine. So he marries her. Of course, it's only to send her the book because, wow, consistency. He marries her. Cool. He takes her back. And he says, you know, nothing's going to change because we can still get this annulled. And I made a promise to everybody, which ding, 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 makes sense to me. You definitely made a promise to everyone you were going to bring her back within a year. She's like, what if I don't want to go back? I'm like, well, bro, it's not about you. Like, <laughs> selfish? Not about you. Okay. Then we have the exact opposite thing happen where his arch nemesis daughter sneaks over and says, hey, Julia. Hey, and her name is Sophie. Hey, Soph, what are you doing here? Well, I'm running off aha uh -huh. i'm running away i'm like well you didn't run very far because this is across the street cool i'm running away so anyway she runs away over there and then her knight shows up and then uh, the count says i won't let her go unless she's married i'm like what kind of mess the author ran out of ideas and that's fine like just just say that and in the book you should have ended it when they got married but okay you didn't so the book goes on and the biggest issue turns out to be the third party who hates them both and they plot to get rid of them and that's the whole story um yeah so three-part series was it amazing not really and i the nuns not being nuns wasn't as well executed as i wanted it to be there didn't really seem to be an overarching theme i mean in the beginning i thought it was kind of like the things you expect as a child aren't really how things go as an adult um mostly because a lot of these women when they were brought to the convent or even as young girls didn't imagine they would go out to be married but then i learned that they absolutely did um a, a lot of the men it, it it felt like were kind of growing up and figuring out what it meant to lead their sector or um understand the specific roles of leadership and that it wasn't just like being at war but as far as the theme goes it just it, it didn't really it, it didn't really strike that especially by the time we got to the third book at the third book i was like oh okay like you you signed a contract didn't you okay so what i say you need to keep i mean i'm 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 not keeping this because definitely the book was twice as long as it should have been <laughs> and even if we take out that no if we took out the second half of the book i, I think the books would be pretty good but I, I don't believe in cutting books in half so we won't do that we'll just we'll toss them and we'll read the next segment it wasn't amazing but it was, it was definitely better than the werewolf series and i gotta say i'm kind of turned off by historical romance now though because i'm like if everyone's just gonna get married by the middle of the book which i don't mind it's just the plot is kind of dead after that yeah we're gonna have to take a break from that but i mean pick them up if you think it sounds interesting i'm just not keeping them but i am hoping that our next series of books will be more of a 
cleansing palette. So join me back here in two weeks when we review the Dempsey series by Jennifer Cruzy. <laughs>